touch my tralala. Mmm, my ding ding dong. Bratmintonians and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure, the man who slides into my DMs, Mr. Shaheen Avandi! Ooh, I like that last bit. Ooh. Our 69th episode. Giggity. All right. Giggity, giggity, goo. <laughs> we have the maturity of 12-year-old boys. We don't, I don't think we're even that mature. Isn't that like kind of an integral thing about being a motorcyclist? Like getting in touch with your inner child? Like, yeah. We just talked about that today at the shop. This is really? like This is like buying your youth. Absolutely. Right? You're like, I mean, it doesn't have to be a Ducati, any motorcycle that'll make you giggle. That's why we always say my favorite bike's the one I'm riding right now. Sure. It makes me happy. It makes me do stupid things. It makes me put on goofy tires on my bike and go ride it in places I shouldn't. It's like, it's a kid. That's awesome. With also probably the least amount of effort. I mean, aside from like track riding and dirt riding for sure, like single trail riding. But like, I didn't have to pedal anything. For a long time, I was worried I didn't have an inner child. <laughs> maybe he didn't maybe it just came out recently i think i oh, i think i only have it when it comes to motorcycles like i go to disneyland i fucking hate Disneyland. why are these people next to me why is that child here there's Ugh. yeah there's nothing about disneyland that stop I, crying like i don't understand as an adult <laughs> how you're like disneyland's awesome but have you been to disney world even then that might be a different feeling i've been to disney world have you yeah I just have a hard time picturing you in florida in any way shape or form no we went when i was a kid that's the thing. I was you a didn't kid. have a choice a, in that. I was a kid at Disney World and I didn't have a good time. You were, I, I feel like you were always an, a lawyer. I don't understand. You just came out of the womb like, no, I'm displeased with all this. Fuck that's, off all of you. That's probably fair. That's, <laughs> that's probably true. That's totally, that's totally true. <laughs> uh, doctor, you didn't do this right. Uh, let me give you three reasons why. Put him back in. He's still an asshole. Oh God, that one. Who let him out? <laughs> Who left the dog? I've been listening to a lot of DMX. I don't know if you noticed in our intro music selections lately, but yeah, I like it though. A lot of dog Listen, sounds I'm, in his tracks. I mourned a bit when DMX passed away. I mean, we all kind of saw it coming. He'd been in and out of rehab a lot, but still, I was sad. He lived it. He lived life 100. He did. He thought he was Mick Jagger. <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> he thought he was something. I just uh, nobody's gonna outlive those guys. Yeah, they're like. 350 years old now, I think. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of Botox. Um, our, for our 69th episode, I feel like everything should be some kind of a innuendo. So how would that be different from usual? I don't know. It's because <laughs> it's our 69th episode. <laughs> Just every time you're like, yeah, this unit. Huh, you said unit. All right. Tell me what you've been doing on two wheels. Two wheels. <laughs> <laughs> you've been out in the dirt. <laughs> you said dirt. You've been hitting the ass. Asphalt. Oh, I'll put the ass in asphalt and rubber. <laughs> giggity, Ass- giggity. Assholes and rubbers. Assholes and somebody suggested that's the name of the dating site we were thinking of. Yep. Yep. It's a little too close to truth. What have you been doing? You put tractor tires on your damn bike, didn't I you? I did. I sure did. And I used them. They're so good. Mm. They're so good. Mm. <clears throat> I took a, uh, a friend slash customer to, to the Washington BDR lower half of it because that's sort of an easier, better intro to that kind of writing. 
got some potholes in it, a couple of ups and downs, but it's not like super technical. Just a comfortable on a bike that's going to move around underneath you a lot because there's gravel and loose shit everywhere. And uh, let me tell you, that Multistrada V4S with the... S stands for sexy? Sexy. Um, put the Motas Tractionator Adventures. Don't you shake your head at me. <laughs> this uh, is why we should do a video because it's just... Just, mm. just mm. absolutely ruined that bike's on-road. Actually, you know what you would think, but dang it, it felt so sure-footed on the curvy bits. I was having a good time with it. Um, but man, took it out there, had a good time with it. It uh, has, has made me fall in love with the bike all over again. It feels like 100 pounds lighter, even though it's not. It steers so much sharper, and I think it has more ground clearance because I did some stupid shit out there, and the bike was like, that's fine, you're okay. Keep doing the thing. There, there. And... Uh, it feels like you can th- throttle, uh, steer it very, very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very linear with its power up, but like it doesn't snap. You can make it snap if you want to, but it's just very easy to kind of steer it with a throttle. Easy, easy, easy. Very, very, um, just good. I liked it. It yeah. made me want to go giggity every it's time a, I did something. It's a good bike off-road. It's a very good bike off-road. I'm it's, super surprised by it. I, I think... I forgot the exact words in my review, but I was like, this is, this is it. This is the adventure bike you should buy. You want to go do all the things? This is the all the things bike because yeah. it's, it's very good off-road. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best on-road. Yeah. Uh, I think even K- with shitty tires. On yeah. It. Even with your shitty tractionator tires on it. <laughs> there, I mean, kudos man to that bike. They've, they've made it so good that even with like questionable tires, the bike's like <laughs> questionable, unwavering. Questionable life choices aside, just, it's a good bike. It's just so good. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe, I think off-road, maybe you look more for Africa Twin or, or KTM. We can have that debate, which right. is in which category. Um, but neither of those bikes touch the Ducati for its on-road prowess. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah. yeah and it's funny because like, I know one of your favorite bikes in that category is the KTM 1290 Adventure KTM. S. Yeah, I love it phenomenal bike but you know it's interesting we just took one on trade at the shop today and i was kind of comparing notes to see where it's at Mm -hmm. because it i think it fits in the same category with a 19 inch front wheel and everything and it's super comfortable and it's very fast and it's amazing it doesn't have quite the ground clearance if you want that you have to go to the r Mm -hmm. so it's it was neat to kind of be able to park them next to each other and look at them and just kind of compare a little bit and that finger diddle a little bit little diddle just kind of get around it's like oh i get to put my grimy hands on this thing Mm -hmm. um phenomenal bike i still think it's one of the best bikes on the planet that 1290s adventure i totally agree with you i think mm-hmm. it's a great bike mm-hmm. um but it is more road bias than the ducati because ktm sort of made it where it's like no if you want to go off-roading you want more ground clearance you got to go to the r with a 21 inch front because it could be more off-road bias or totally. sorry on-road bias because they had an off-road variant right. yeah so it's interesting they did that because it, it made me ask the question well i mean if i was in the market and this was I would realistically, if I'm looking at European, you know, ups, you know, I don't know, upscale, I guess, uh, adventure touring bikes, you're talking KTM, Ducati, Triumph, BMW, because I think Triumph's probably going to have a new uh, big 1200 coming out pretty soon. They got I, keep, it. I keep seeing it. They're, they're too stagnant in the, in the marketplace. They got it. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's been a while. It's been, it has. So I, I think I, I keep seeing it through the grapevine. I think there's going to be a new one out there. So those really would be the four. European ones. Are you breaking some news over here, Shaheen? I think I, I'm breaking some stories. I seen, I seen the thing. I read a couple of things, and I, it just makes sense. It's got to. It's got to happen. Yeah. Um. So, between those bikes, you're somewhere between, let's call it nineteen thousand to twenty six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. 
mm-hmm. give or take. And so, I mean, if I was looking at those, I think the Ducati personally is probably the better of them on the road. I think off-road, I mean, the BMW is just really, really well put together at this point. They've been doing it for so fucking long. It just feels bigger and heavier to me. But I say that every time I ride one, the bike just disappears underneath me. I think they've done a really good job with it. We talked about last show, you know, you got that R1300 GS. Yeah. Know, that's what they're calling it at least. Coming out and that could be, that could be a game changer, right? That's, I, you water cool that motor, it could get some power. Probably 150 horses or so. I wouldn't be surprised if they least, did that. At least, I, don't, what's I mean, that's the name of the game right now. I think the 1250 is like 130 something horses right now. Yeah, my head, like my immediate thought was like 140 something. And that bike's but, that bike's game is not horsepower; it's torque. Yes, it's the torque monster, and it's this nice, you know, flat torque curve that seems to start at idle. A torque monster. The torque monster. Um, Gondola, yeah. they called it a torque monster. Oh, shit. The scheisse. Call these stupid Americans and tell them he's not a torque monster. One, 136. 136 horsepower. Yeah. And like a million pound feet of torque. 105 pound feet. That's a lot. At 6,200 RPM, 6,250. That's incredible. Pretty good. It's like a diesel. All right. Medium, okay. Medium, okay. It'll do. Um, Yeah. If I was picking between those bikes, if I was going to just, if if, if it was just my wallet Mm. and nothing else, I would probably pick the KTM. But if I was going to do a lot more off-roading, then I would have to say, then I want to have the R model, not the S model. Yeah, see that... I don't know. Two shows ago, we talked about the spectrum mm-hmm. on spectrum. I remember the episode's called on the spectrum. It is because that was the reason why we called it that. Very specky. Um, it's a fascinating market segment because it really it's like, what are you into? It's like it's like going into a swingers club <laughs> and and just being what like, do you like, I don't know. What do you what are you into? Do you do you like the uh, all you can eat food buffet? That's probably going to give you hepatitis. Do you like the orgy in the middle of the of the room? That's probably a little bit of hepatitis. A little bit of everything. Do you like little private rooms where you can close the door and do your own thing and get hepatitis? Probably. Or do you are you more like into a group, you know, on the slide thing in the bathroom where there's just urinal stalls covered in hepatitis? Welcome do, to Hepi's uh, club. <laughs> you have all the options in the world to get your hepatitis on, just like with the adventure segment. You can get your adventure on anywhere you want to go. That's right. It's just different, different ways of doing it. I mean, it. like we said before, the idea of adventure varies so widely based on your club hep uh, analogy. <laughs> I think I just likened uh, adventure touring to hepatitis. <laughs> Basically, you can have a lot of fun, but you might get hurt. Just when, be careful. You once know? you get it, you Wear your protection, folks, <laughs> in adventure riding and going to these orgy clubs. Uh, <laughs> welcome, to my, well, welcome to my TED Talk. Not that, yeah, not, that, not that we would know anything about either of those none. subjects. <laughs> um, I think, and I think this is why I love the Ducati so much, not just because I sell damn things, but because uh, it feels like it's drink. in the middle somewhere. It does the road thing really, really well. And, and it blew my mind at how well it did the off-road thing and how uh, willing and eager it was to just blast and have a good time. Uh, didn't feel heavy. I, had, I didn't drop a dev to pick it up. So I'm sure it's, you know, it's a big 1200, almost 1200 CC adventure bike, but it just, it felt light underneath me. I had to change the foot pegs. Ducati, for whatever reason, in their weird wisdom, put like these little narrow road pegs on it. So if you want to stand up on there, you have to go to like a wider setup. So I just got the older Multistrada Enduro style pegs on there so I can stand better. But like, you just put your pressure on the foot peg, whichever direction you want to go, and the bike just slides into that spot for you. I'm very curious to see where Ducati goes now that they have the Multistrada V4. And we've talked about this. What do you uh, mean? In which way? Just 
so you got that bike. Mm -hmm. It's got a 19 inch front wheel. Mm -hmm. It does the off road pretty well. It does the on road really well. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. If you have only one bike in your garage, I think that's, that's a great bike to put in your garage. You're not going to be upset. Um, I don't know really if there are better options. It would probably come down to what are you into again? Like where, where, what kind of hepatitis were you looking to get? What kind of adventure hep were you looking for? Yeah. Um, but like, where do you go from there? And we've talked about the Pikes Peak version, the ledge Pike Peak version. Mm-hmm. That's going to have 17 inch wheel, single sided swing arm. We're hoping it has like a Street Fighter motor in it. That's probably not going to happen. No, the, just, dreamers can dream. I know. Um, do you come out with? I mean, the the multi shot 950 needs needs not to weigh 510 I, pounds. I think this is their chance to go up against the Tiger 900. Yeah, I mean, I, if I'm Ducati, I need, I want to put out, I mean, like, do you, let me think my thoughts here. This is why I say it's interesting because do you flood the zone with four or five different bikes, mm-hmm. kind of like how KTM has done, or do you just kind of come out with one bike and say like, hey, this bike fucking does everything really well, which is kind of like what Honda has done, where it's just like, yeah, Africa Twin, that's yeah, pretty good on road, really good off road. You're going to like, you want an adventure bike, there's your adventure bike. We don't make a 700cc version yet. Yeah. It's probably going to be like an 850 trans. Oh, oh, God. We don't have like a, you know, 800 or sorry, like 180 horsepower version of it. Yeah. Yet. You know, maybe. Fingers crossed. I don't know. But it's just like one and done. And like I look at Ducati and like, I don't know. You're, you, if you're going to build that sport one with the 17 inch wheels, why don't you have a 21 inch wheel? Yeah, you got to have a 21 inch, 21 inch wheel something. It's either yes. got to be it's either got to be like an 850 cc class bike or a 1200 cc class bike, but you got to have at least a 21 inch wheel in the arsenal somewhere. I think this is way Welcome outside of Ducati's. I like it. I like where you're going with this thing. Just bring the freaking energy. I think we're watching Ducati have to battle with the idea of stepping out of their comfort zone. Off-road is just not their thing. It's never been. But now we're watching them keep talking about like the fast house and doing the Mint 400 and, you know, building, you know, the Multistrada with a 19 inch, uh, wheel, inch wheel only option right now. But if you look at all the other European brands, they have multiple options of each bike. Yeah. How many different Tiger 900s are there? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so... So if there's that many options, clearly there's there's an audience for it. So I agree with you. I think what they ought to do, since they already have the plans for the 17-inch wheel, multi-V4, pick the 950, make it lose some weight, do a 19-inch version and a 21-inch version. Yeah. Do the 19-inch only with cast wheels and then do the 21-inch only with spoked wheels and make people go, cool, I have an, you know, an R model and an S model, just like KTM. Yeah, I don't know about that designation, but yeah, I like that idea. Oh, whatever, name it. I like that idea, especially because I don't know how badly I want a big size dual sport, you know, 500 plus pounds with a 21 inch front wheel. Right. I know there's riders out there that do want that, but I don't know if Ducati needs to have that in their, in their arsenal if there's a middleweight size bike with a 21 inch front wheel. Yeah, if they did that, if they had proper ground clearance yeah. and... That, that would yeah. be, like, I mean, remember, remember they teased us all with that Desert X concept. Yes. Which was kind of like a Kajiva looking. It was hot thing. It was gorgeous. Just wrong motor. It's wrong motor. So if they just take that same energy and put the liquid cooled motor in there and make it less than 450 pounds, sign me the fuck up. I think you got to, you put the Tesla Strata motor in it or you build a new engine platform. 
Uh, they're never going to do that. This is this is we're talking about Volkswagen Group, dude. They're all about mm-hmm. recycling engines. How many that- Volkswagens have the two-liter <laughs> turbo motor in it? How many Volkswagen products? So many. They just they love doing that. Yeah, cost less money. There's bean counter somewhere going. No, this is the engine. Nine for everything. We'll make it from 150 to 300 horsepower. Same engine. Who was I talking? I was talking to an industry person, insider, Both and Spy, maybe, uh, the other day. And they were talking about the disconnect between uh, Europe, especially European brands, but between American adventure riders and European adventure riders. And in Europe, adventure riding really is sport touring. Like adventure riding is really like we go up the Alps. Mm -hmm. That's like where you're going to find most of these GSs and KTMs and V4s and all that stuff. It's them going through the Dolomites, going through the Pyrenees, going through, you name the high altitude mountain pass. And there's some, there's some off road stuff, but it's not like how it is here where, you know, especially look at the pandemic is a great example of how much dirt biking like had a boom during the pandemic. Yeah. I don't think, so I think it's tough sometimes for a European brand to look at like their interpretation of adventure riding and not understand that in the U S there is more of a dirt focus. Mm -hmm. There is more like, you know, we, we really do like our enduros. We really do like our dirt bikes and we really do expect that adventure bike to be able to do more of the off-road trails that, you would take a large dirt bike. Yeah, on. it needs to be the Swiss Army knife of motorcycles. Right. Everything. Right. And I think I think the few brands that got that right, one was KTM, which totally makes sense because they sell so many freaking dirt bikes in the US that they mm-hmm. should be able to see that progression. And the only other one I've really seen get it right is Yamaha with the, the, the T7. And again, it's like, well, Yamaha sells a lot of dirt bikes here. It no surprise that it didn't get caught, you know, they get caught on. Right. And you know, for someone like Ducati, which has no dirt bike lineup whatsoever, they really should. I just saw the 2022 presentation for TM Racing, mm-hmm. and I still think they should buy them. <laughs> that'd be perfect. That'd be a match made in heaven. But like, the brand is lacking an off-road component, and I think some of that, some of that chops gets left behind. And I think that's why we're seeing the bikes that we're seeing from them. Yeah, because if you're an on-road focused <clears throat> adventure rider. Multistrada 950 kind of makes sense. If you never take that thing off road, that makes that kind of makes sense. Yes. Or if you're doing like gravel roads with it, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, like light duty, you know, up to maybe medium off road ability. Yeah, what the British would call like a green lane. <laughs> what what Portland would call an alley sweeper. That's right, an alley sweeper. <laughs> um, but if you're not looking at it as like, oh, middleweight, you know, bike that can go do single track trails. No, that's that's not that doesn't exist out there. No. Not for a bike like that. I really do wonder what the conversation is like inside the boardrooms of the European market motorcycle, you know, committees of like, all right, we need to build a motorcycle for the Americans. What do they do? Because frankly, the whole adventure touring segment is pretty new to us. And it's funny how we've just grabbed it and run with it. BMW's been doing it forever, but like everybody just looked at it as a BMW thing. Oh, these BMW guys buy these bikes in Farklow Mountain, maybe go off the beaten path once in a while. And so suddenly everybody else is like, oh yeah, we should also come to the US and do things like that. So, you know, you suddenly saw the 
Honda Africa Twin, and then you saw the bigger KTMs, you know, starting out with the 1090 and 1190, and then they started kind of making them better and better, and we've just, I mean, dude, we can't keep them in the showroom, mm-hmm. and ours is not the affordable one. Mm-hmm. What does that look like in the more affordable segment, you know, in the $14,000 Africa Twin segment? Um, I mean, Scenario 700 did not have any trouble selling. Pan America is not having any trouble selling. They're selling out of Pan America is like crazy right now. Yeah, I wonder if that's a supply issue or a demand issue, though. I mean, it's been that case for everything right now. Yeah. The minute it hits the showroom, it's gone. I want to see second year sales. I agree. I want to see what 2022 is probably going to be a more real, quote unquote, realistic view on what sales will look like, because we're still kind of dealing with the after effect of 2020, where people were pent up. Spot on with that. In fact, one of the things I was going to touch on uh, later in the show was BMW just came off their sales figures for the first half of the year mm-hmm. up 40 percent over last year which Holy. is but then you're like well yeah well right well mm-hmm. so i did the math even compared to 2019 it's still a what is it 15 percent gain which is great that is great but i am curious to see 2022 does the growth continue yep does it drop five percent do we find our do we find our plateau and and find our reset or is this like the new volume and we're going to keep building from there i'm kind of curious I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't have an answer. Uh, that's a conversation we keep having on the retail side. You know, what is next year going to look like? We we need to be realistic about what those numbers are because I'm so tired of the word, but everything that we're seeing currently is quote unquote unprecedented. Everything from from the customer demand to the lack of inventory, which is a, you know part of that customer demand because a lot of us thought this is going to be probably like last year. And we're just going to do what's happening. And then a couple of us saw between the lines and said, no, we should probably order up because people are buying dirt bikes and vans like crazy. And this is another thing that's probably going to get swept up. And lo and behold, it did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am curious to see what next year looks like. Like, what does the next tax year look like um, for the retail industry? For the, let's call it the retail uh, uh, recreational industry between motorcycles and vans and trucks and stuff like that. Because you still, to this day, can't find a Sprinter anywhere. To this day, you ha- you can't find a damn Toyota Tacoma anywhere. Like, they're they're there, but they're charging a premium and they're getting it. Interesting times. Interesting times. Interesting times. Indeedly doodly. Uh, I'll be having an interesting time in August, if I can brag for a minute. Tell me. I just got an invitation from the Germans. Ooh, where are you going? I'm going to Denver. Wait, uh, to Colorado. Oh. Uh, That's not Germany at all. Yeah, I know. Excited. Uh, I don't know. Can you talk about it? Yeah, it's the BMW R18B, which I assume is a bagger. Bagger. And the Transcontinental, which I believe is the tour oh. versions of the R18. R18 bad boy. Yeah. That's what B stands for. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what that's all about. It's a good thing yeah. I've had one of those in my garage for like the last nine years. Apparently. Don't tell them. They, they forgot. They forgot. They forgot. That's our bike now, Jensen. That's Yeah. <clears throat> we just uh, go get it registered. Honda sent me a text message today, like, "Hey, can we come by and get that Africa Twin?" I was like, "What Africa Twin? You're talking no about Africa Twin here, guys? What? what are you, we don't have an Africa. No, twin. you still have to put the knobby tires on it. We got to go off roading. I know. Uh, I talked to the surgeon today, yesterday, yesterday. Today, I talked to the like pre-surgery thing. So we're doing it. You're we're doing gonna it. we're gonna staple gun it all back together what's the um, do you have a rough date no i was hoping there uh, the scheduling person was going to call me today and they didn't so hmm. um probably not this week hopefully next week if not the week after that the next two let's, let's say the next two weeks all right i feel all like right. 
Everything seems to take longer than I expect, though, so I feel like I just jinxed it. That's just this year, man. Everything takes longer. I got hurt like two and a half months ago. I don't even remember when you got hurt. Why did you even get hurt? What happened? I don't know. <laughs> My whole three laps of a race season. Um, don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Too yeah, soon. no, excited to go out to Denver and, and ride some bikes out there. Good riding out there. I've been out there. Uh, I'm excited for that. That bike's got good ground clearance for uh, some of those curvy Colorado roads. <laughs> We're good. The we're cylinder good. head clearance. Dude, you're going to have... <laughs> you should put little magnesium strips on there so you can get some sparks. Get some sparkies. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do yeah. we have any ideas of what those bikes look like yet or no? A little bit. There's been spy photos. There's been renders. I think it's pretty easy to imagine, right? Like, take an R18, put a huge bat wing fairing on it and some hard luggage and a radio and all on navigation and i think you got yourself the transcontinental I know, but i hope they make it look cool like make it look a little steampunk or something don't make it look like just another because here's the thing that bike that's downstairs right now is so low and long that if they just put i don't know typical bagger bullshit on there it's just gonna look weird to me it's gonna look it's gonna look like a honda vtx 1800 with bags on it there's a little bit of that right uh the bagger thing is kind of um a more modern kind of approach to cruisers uh-huh. you know I, I should say like modern in the sense of like post-world war ii okay the bike downstairs is very much a pre-world war ii or world or you could say world war ii era aesthetic right so how do you marry those different points in time and design together i'll be I, curious to see I, I mean that's where the designers come in i'm sure they have some kind of a good that's what they design language for. to use that's why again paid the medium bucks designers do the thing make it pretty Make it, pr- make, make it pretty. Make me no, like one of your German, French girls. German said, make it usable and utilitarian. But it's a bagger. Make it pretty. Be interesting. It's, um, Put bling on it somewhere for no reason. You talk about Ducati, you know, trying to learn the off-road market. BMW trying to learn the cruiser market. Right. Similar issue. I mean, they've been around it for a long time. This they've is nothing been new it, to them. It's don't ever forget the R1200C, Jensen. I just don't want BMW to ever forget the R1200C. You guys remember you made that fucking bike. <laughs> you notice how like when they talk about the R18, like there's no mention of the R1200C. Ever. Uh, I, but it had the seat back that became a seat and it could come up and be a backrest. And it was James Bond's bike. Come on, man. What an abomination. Um... I'm I'm curious to see what this looks like because like the standard that they ha- kind of have to get to is that Honda Goldwing Harley Davidson. But they have that. It's called the person. K1600B. K1600B is probably like more of a Goldwing bike. Right. I think I still think you could siphon off. I think there's enough like crazy old Goldwingers. I see a Goldwing. I think it's hard to steal a Goldwinger. I think a Goldwinger is always a Goldwinger. Oh, yeah. But I could see someone of them being like, this new bike's too modern for me. I want want something even older. I like that crazy gold wingers are like, um, like old school 1920s bank robbers. They've just grown up and matured. Yeah, see? This motorcycle's got room for my Tommy gun. Yeah. I can barely fit two helmets in the top dock. What's, what's, uh, what is a penny and a police having copper? A common copper, see? Copper. (laughs) Stuff and stuck (laughs) attached. Uh, I think that's just uh, Daffy Duck. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'll be curious to see. There's, there's, um, 
it's a details thing. And I think that's, that's probably one of my issues with the R18 beautiful bike. Yeah. But it's the details that I feel like they got wrong. Like try and fill it up with gas. It'd be really hard to get that nozzle in there. Do you, do you like vibrations? I mean, that bike is vibey. Do you like shitty brakes? Like, do you like a shitty looking dash? I mean, it's a cruiser. It is, but like, there's some things that were like, like, eh, you could have done that better. Like, it, we, like, we've talked about this. Like, the weird things that BMW usually gets right, I feel like they got wrong with that bike. <laughs> and the things you'd expect BMW to get, like, have a hard time with, they got really, like, like kind of knocked out of the park. And you're like, huh, interesting. This is like watching BMW cars trying to build, like, a 1970s Cadillac Fleetwood. Yeah. Why are you guys? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a apt metaphor. <laughs> It's just, it's in the same, it's in the same genre to me. It's just old school, big, long, low American styling. And they're like, no, this is cool. We should do this. Yeah. It was really cool in 19, like 75. Yeah. The wood paneling. But again, see, this is you and I uh, see, we're just, we're just probably pissing off a lot of people just because you and I don't necessarily love and understand cruisers. Doesn't mean the rest of, which is a huge population that rides cruisers wouldn't understand it. We got a we got a message from somebody who actually kind of very succinctly and nicely explained that. Like, if you go to any of these motorcycle rallies, what do you see? Cruisers, a fuck ton of them. He's not wrong. No, I mean that's <clears> the <throat> thing. Like, there's and I say that about the R18. Like, there's something about this motorcycle I don't understand because, like, for me, it's not a very like, oh yeah, that thing's awesome. I'm gonna put that in my garage. Mm-hmm. But every time I go out on it, someone stops me and has to talk to me about it, yeah. which I hate. It's interesting though. I talked to a BMW dealer and, and he's having a hard time selling them because the BMW people don't get it. They're having the same conversation you and I are having. It's sort of snide and like, what the fuck's the point of this thing, right? But it's like, well, that's not the buyer for it. That's a conquest bike trying to bring other people who are looking at cruisers and that's their lifestyle and that's their, that's yeah. their dream and that's their two, 3,000 miles a year motorcycle Yeah, to come in and look at it. So then BMW... Hopefully, he's doing a good job of sending out the message of, hey, this bike exists. You guys should, should come ride it because it's a really, really great alternative to, say, a Harley Softail Slim. I haven't seen <clears throat> sales on it, so I'd be curious to see if it's selling well or not. But we had that conversation with, with them. They, you know, they're like, well, if we sell 2,000 of these worldwide. Cool. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm curious, though. Do they like count that sale from... BMW Motorrad to the dealership, or is that the actual end user buying and registering the bike? Usually, usually sales when you when you talk sales numbers are to consumers. Okay, um, but there are some brands that report both numbers, so you have to know what you're looking at. Right, but like MIC numbers are bike registrations from Got DMV it. actual end user. Yeah, cool. Okay, uh, you know what's not cool? What? Getting your brand new Aprilia 660 recalled for Conrad failures and possible valve train issues. Is this like all of them or is this a... Well, we should say... So I broke this story July 1st and then a bunch of other people took credit for it. (laughs) Uh, So there's no official word yet. The Bothan Spy take is there's about 700 bikes worldwide affected by this. Oh. Just about under a hundred in the U.S. It's not all bikes. It sounds a lot like the RSV4 Conrad issue, where which you know in that case it was like one of the suppliers, Conrad suppliers had a bad batch of Conrads. They were they were popping, so they took all the 
bikes that came from that supplier, replaced their replaced their engines and and took care of it. Okay. Similar deal where they've got that VIN number range and if you're in that VIN number range, you're going to get a brand new motor and hopefully get taken care of a little bit more on top of that. I mean, Ducati just did this, so maybe Aprilia will take notes and say this is how it's supposed to be done. I think if they're smart, they'll take a look at what Ducati has done, what BMW has done in the past, and be like, okay, here's your brand new motor. Um, here's your re- your warranty is going to be reset. Maybe yeah. we throw some shekels at you. Maybe you can get some Aprilia parts or services free or yep. you know whatever. Something to, to make your purchasing... Because we know it's going to cost you money anyways as a company, but at least do the thing where people stop talking about it. Nobody talks about the Ducati thing anymore. Exactly. It, it came and went swiftly. Ducati f- acted so fast it blew our minds at the dealership. Like they had those engines to us. It seemed like a day after the letter got sent out to us. Like they were like, hey, this thing's going to happen. And then suddenly four crates showed up. So I'm hoping that Aprilia does the same thing where they can do it swiftly, quickly, take care of the customer so that it does not become a... I'm going to have a hard time believing in this product because even now when I see on the forums any Ducati, any potential new V4 Multistrada buyer says, oh, is this okay if it's going to happen? Everybody shuts it down quickly. Like, And the people who are first to talk are the ones that got taken care of by Ducati. They're immediately your fan. So hopefully, crossing fingers, Aprilia will do the same thing. It's an opportunity for them to make <clears throat> some, um, some brand evangelists. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a bummer that it happens. Like, it's an interesting thing. Like, uh, uh, it's actually interesting. Like I hate to keep like bringing Ducati into the conversation, but I actually got to Drink. go into Bologna to the factory, <clears throat> see their QC process, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. You know, they put like this, this dye that like soaks into the metal and then it's, um, you put a UV light over it and you can actually see it shows up like lime green. Oh. So you can actually see the stress and the metal, like where, where it did or didn't, you know, get forged correctly. Well, so, you know, that was actually on, on crankshafts or or it's not crankshafts, sorry, Conrods. So I think to a certain extent, a brand has to be responsible for its own QC process for, for its suppliers. But it's also one of those things too, where it's like, man, that sucks when you're, it's not something that Aprilia built something that like, I don't know who their supplier is for Conrods pankle or someone who knows. Um, I shouldn't even mention Pagel because it might not even be them, but, um, you know, so Bob's Conrad show. I'll, I'll let that shit out. I don't, you know, I don't know who they're, they're, I forgot what I was saying. It kind of sucks for them in the sense that like their Conrad supplier, like, yep, they had an issue, but that means Aprilia has the issue. Like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're putting your brand brand name on the product, putting it out yeah. there. It doesn't matter who behind the scenes built the, you know, peripheral parts that got into it to build the whole thing. If you're going to put it out there, now you hold responsibility as a brand to uphold your, you know, reputation and all that stuff. And it sucks. Shit happens. I get it. It happens with every company, no matter what. BMW knows better than everybody else because they deal with it pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. But they keep taking care of people. So it never becomes like a point of contention. Do you use, lose customers? Sure. No matter what happens, you're going to have fickle people who are going to go, nah, I don't have faith in this anymore. I'm going to move on to something different. But more often than not, People look at it and go, wow, cool. They got really well taken care of and they're going to move forward with it. A hundred bikes out of the entire U.S. is not that many motorcycles. No, and I don't know what their number is going to be in terms of, of total sales for the U.S., but it, I know for a fact that it, for them, it's a supply issue. Right. There's more people wanting to buy bikes than there are 660s available, especially for the RS. Mm-hmm. 
versus the Tuano. And it's like, like, I don't know. Let's say their, their goal was to sell a thousand of them. I still think they're going to sell a thousand because yep. there's 2000 people that want to buy them. And does that 2000 go to like 1900 or 1800 or even 1500? I don't know. Maybe, but you're still going to sell your thousand. And then by the time the second model year comes out and everyone sees like, oh, wow, these bikes you know, hopefully are more reli- are, are reliable. There's no issues. It was just that Conrad, that one batch, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Um, then those, those other bikes will filter through. I was just thinking for a second while you were talking, there's really two, there's two kinds of recalls, right? There's a recall or things that go wrong on the assembly line. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we routed the throttle cable the wrong way and that causes something to wear and, you know, Gunther was having a bad Tuesday <laughs> and, you know, he put all the spark plugs in upside down and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's like assembly issues, which is really like, that's more indicative of, of the motorcycle brand having issues. And then there's supply chain issues where it's like our supplier built the crankshafts wrong or the pistons wrong or the the Brembo, like the Brembo brake recall. Like, hey, like no one makes their own brakes. They all just buy it from like four different brands. Right. And if one of those brands has a bad day, then there's an issue. And like, like I was saying before, like I think you still have to hold a brand like Aprilia accountable for what their suppliers do. But those recalls worry me less than the ones where oh yeah, we put the wheel, we put all the wheels in backwards on like a certain <laughs> VIN range because Bob was drunk. Bob was having a bad day. Yeah. He had a fight with his dog. It just became a thing. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing to look at. I don't know if like consumers really look at it. I think at the end of the day, like you see a bunch of recalls and you kind of go, yeah. Dude, when our, when our retail customers come to us, they're not like, oh, it must've been a bad day at the something something they're just saying hey the thing that i paid you 20 something thousand dollars for is not working it's not working fix it yeah take care of me right make me pretty make it pretty yeah so we'll keep into um we'll keep an eye out for the official word on this i think it's going to be another week probably is it all 660 motors or just rs a tuono and rs um equal opportunity offender i don't know the breakdown between rs and Tuono in terms of like numbers affected. Um, I mean, technically, there's probably more RSs sold than Tuono, so I imagine. I mean, if they're saying 700 units worldwide, I would imagine <laughs> that's at least a third of all the bikes they're producing. Right. It's a lot. Just because I know, I know, it really is having some supply chain issues too. Everybody is. Yeah, but like that bike in particular seems to be affected by it. I think that kind of fell squarely in terms of like there's enough new parts. It came right in the development cycle, right during the production cycle of when the supply chain was doing things. Seems to be happening a lot this year though with any brand that's trying to introduce a new something and then they start having, it's almost like they rush to get the thing out and then it hits the ground and they're like, ah, fuck, it's missing this or this supplier fucked something up or we forgot to put tires on it. I mean, I think that's fair. I think there was definitely a rush to get the RS to market on the timeline they did because it was a little late. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I think if you said Aprilia pushed that out the door a little quicker than they should, I think that's fair. And I think that kind of shows some of the problems I had at the launch. Um, if I was in their shoes, would I have done the same thing? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of circumstances there. I mean, it created revenue for them to hopefully be able to take care of other stuff. Capital still made. And if let's say they sold a thousand bikes and a hundred of them are affected, that's still all right. They're still 
enough capital to take care of those hundred bikes and not, you know, hopefully die. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the margin is, but they're making money on five dollars. <laughs> no, it's it's like a reasonable margin is my I'm understanding, sure is. but uh yeah. We'll see. Time will tell. Um yeah, fifth month. We'll see. I think I think they're doing the right thing. If they're replacing the motors instead of like having someone rebuild the motor for you. I think that's super smart. I think it's a lot easier and there's far less room for error on that. You guys build that engine in-house and just send that in and go put this in that. It should be done. Ducati did that and it was so much easier. I mean, we had those things in and out quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, 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 speaking of things that aren't quick. BMW CEO <laughs> for electric scooter. Worst name ever. <laughs> Worst name ever. Wait, you don't like its name? Um, I mean, I, CEO four just sounds really awkward. Yeah, I guess I wonder trying to, is there, is there like a CEO three? What's a CE? I think CE is their new designation for electric scooters. Because you remember their scooters in their lineup. RRCs. The C six hundred GT gotcha, is the gotcha. their max. I thought scooter. it was some kind of like scientific no, acronym. No, I literally think that's like C is their scooter designation. Okay. E will be their electric scooter. C E will then put that together. You got electric scooter. BMW. It's called a scooter, not a cooter. Why is it called a C? Yeah. Um. Interesting the way it looks. I don't I like the way it looks. I don't think the spec sheet is going to light the world on fire. But the price isn't too bad, and I, you do get some pretty premium things. Cornering ABS, 10-inch huh. TFT, it's got traction control, stability control, riding modes. It's a fairly sophisticated maxi scooter, and I think it's really just designed for street, for street use in a city. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have a top speed of, what, 75 miles an hour? Yeah. I wonder, okay, so its range is 80 miles. And I wonder if that range is based on average speed or on top speed. Like, how long will it go at 75 miles an hour? Yeah, it's got a 8.9 kilowatt hour battery pack. I don't know if that's uh, nominal or not. Mm. But, you know, I think we talked last show about BMW's claims. Like, oh, they say 200 horsepower. I'm like, well, actually 200 horsepower. Right. I feel like 80 mile range is a real 80 mile range. Okay. Whereas, like, let's say some other <clears throat> brands, Zero, would exaggerate their range claim a mm-hmm. little bit more in the perfect world when everything's flat and you're at sea level and the temperature is an ambient 80 <laughs> degrees you'll have 80 miles of if anything n- changes it drops to 40 there's no wind resistance none ever in uh, fact there's somebody in a car pushing you a little bit interesting that they only put a level two so it's got a level one charger on board hmm. it's got a level optional level two charger no dc fast charger though really yeah so they're really looking at that like you're going to take this bike, you're going to run a bunch of errands, and at the end of the day, you're going to charge it in your garage overnight. Yeah, it's just going to sit there in your garage or at your work or whatever. Which, like, I guess not your work. It's very general. Like, the whole thing I sit there and I think about, I'm like, if this is really like an urban, like it'd be great for like you and I, running around town, doing errands, going to the podcast, grabbing mm-hmm. groceries, seeing our buddy Miles down at Puddletown Games. Hell yeah, Puddletown. Shout out. Shout out one of our motorcycle buddies just opened up a, it's actually a game really store cool in Portland. You should go see it. I would totally take this little CE4. Right. But that, that's that's the use case where it's like, yeah, okay, I ran my like hour of errands maybe. And then I come home and I charge in my garage. I mean, a small scooter is basically for that, but then you're spending yeah. like, I mean, I get that it's a good price for what you're getting, but 
$11,800 for something that can basically just be putt putter around town. What's their, what's their other one go for? I don't know if we sell in the US. It's just, I, I really like the way it looks a lot. I really dig this future. I feel like I'm looking at something from like, uh, what's the futuristic movie with uh, Wesley Snipes and Sylvester De- Stallone? Demolition Man. I feel like this belongs in Demolition Man. Okay, so here's an interesting con- compare and contrast. Uh, I know they make a 600cc scooter, or they, at least they used to. I should check the, the European site. But in the US, BMW sells the C400 GT, which is another, it, it looks a little bit smaller, but it's another maxi scooter. It's mm-hmm. not like a, a Zuma or anything. Right. It's, a, it's a scooter that's designed to be able to be on the highway pretty comfortably. Mm-hmm. And that's 8,500 MSRP. There's a $3,000 difference between right. them. And like, just looking at like kind of the, the features, you're like, yeah, there's, there's maybe three grand worth in having the nice TFT dash and all the traction control and all that other stuff on there. Is this on traction control? I don't know. Being electric, the torque. That thing's only 34 horsepower. So this part of me is like, you know, it kind of makes sense. It's not crazy. Like, am I saying like this is like the most earth shattering thing in the world? I think, I mean, BMW was really stroking themselves off when this thing came out. <laughs> and I don't know if that's really warranted. Oh, but like, you're yeah. Like, look at it. Oh, it kind of makes sense, though. Like, it's so it, futuristic. It's not crazy. It's not like it's not like Harley Davidson coming out with the live wire and be like, here's your $30,000 electric bike and people <laughs> being like, eh, I don't know about that. Don't call it a Harley Jensen. Well, we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, I like the way it looks a lot. I have but this has been my concern with electric vehicles in general. I just think they're still at a point where they're a premium product where pretty much only the rich can afford them. I mean, a $12,000 scooter that can go 80 miles that you can buy its gas version for three or $4,000 less and be able to ride around all the time. Yeah, I, I agree with you to an extent, but you know, there is a, there is a market for this kind of, this kind right. of scooter. Like yep. I said, like you, like you're, you can't compare this to a Zuma because there's the scooter market and then there's the maxi scooter market mm-hmm. and BMW's really been like a big player in the maxi scooter market. Honda's got some stuff in there. Thanks, Kimco. Yeah. There's some other brands, but, um, like there is a market of luxury buyers that want to buy. Like I I've been in Europe. I've seen like the businessman with the suit and I've oh, seen yeah, the business here. lady with the suit with the briefcase. Right get in one of these and you're like, that's your like BMW scooter. It's right. fucking, it's a boss of a scooter. Give me that T max 400. Yeah. Europe. That thing's badass. Um, so like I get like that, that exists and it's a thing. And I look at this, I'm like, there, there might be like three grand of value between this and a 400 CC one. Cause I'm trying to, I still am looking for the price on the six. Honestly, I think you kind of hit it in the nose though. Talking about like the European market for it. Cause when you are in a market that has a very sort of a, uh, heavy traffic urban area, then this thing makes a lot of sense. So, you know, for the Barcelonas and Madrids and Parises and Romes of the world, this is a really, really great thing because they're, they're never covering that much space on those, in those cities, but it's easier probably to have something like this and still look good and fashionable and comfortable. So the six, so the six fifty isn't out anymore in the U S but when it was, it was $11,000. So this is 800 more. Than the 650. 650 made. I was going to say power wise, they're probably not that far apart from each other. Yeah. Because this is what, 42 horsepower? 42. The 650 made 60, but it probably makes less torque. Yeah. 
I mean, like, like there's a part of me. It's like, eh, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. I, I think you're right. I think where you were going with that was right. Like, does it make sense in the U.S.? maybe less so is it going to sell a lot here probably not that's the thing with the us we're so vast and big we need things that have more range on them and this was one of the biggest downfalls of say like the live wire mm-hmm. didn't have that much range for a harley davidson where the idea is to be free and go around freely and do things freely well you're only got a 90 mile range so how free are you yeah you could i'm trying to think like use case scenario like could you commute in portland on it like if you lived in vancouver could you come across the bridge to your portland job if you lived this. in Vancouver, like downtown actual Vancouver and not like up north in the battleground and all that stuff, probably because that's, you know, from, from my house, cause I'm the, You're I'm basically close. the furthest northernmost spot in Portland Yeah, from me to downtown. It's like five, six miles. Yeah. So add another three miles to it, cross the bridge and get over. It's not bad. Altogether, your commute's about. Give it 15 to 20 miles. And, and you can Vancouver. do highway speed. 75 is reasonable on right. the highway. Maybe when not. I say 15 to 20, I mean round trip. Yeah. So you could essentially with an, let's call it an 80 mile range. You could basically commute to work. Let's say three to four times a week before you have to even plug it in. And again, if you're charging it every night and plugging it in your garage, yep. it kind of makes sense. Is it going to replace? So this is the thing that's interesting. I look at this bike and I look at, um, what was the other electric that came out recently? Uh, nuts. There's a reason we're seeing electrics come out in certain segments. There's a reason we're seeing electrics come out in e-bikes. Because mm-hmm. um, that, that makes sense. You can make a reasonably sized bicycle that only needs to go like maximum 20 miles an hour. Like our, our motor and battery technology makes sense for that application. Right. Our motor and our battery technology makes sense in a scooter application. You're not going to take... You know, you're not going to take this bike on a cross country tour. You're not going to ever take a scooter more 80 miles like for a day. That's probably a long day on a scooter. Yeah, Uh, you're probably people out there on maxi scooters going cross country. I get it, but I mean, mean, they're they're not the they're not the average. These are the same people who could drive their car with their feet. It doesn't make it a good idea. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you can do it, but that's not a choice. It's the wrong tool for the job. It's like, yeah, if you want to do road trips on your scooter, go for it. Yeah. Make a Listen, video as a guy who takes his 600 pound motorcycle dirt biking. I get it. Yeah. Sometimes it's just funny. But, but like, if you look at like, like the, the core competency of that vehicle, you're yeah. like, it kind of makes sense. And I think that's a very German approach. We're like 80 miles round trip scooter. Like we're not going to build a super bike for you because it doesn't make sense yet, but no. it makes sense in the scooter. In fact, we'll replace our top of the line scooter with this electric one because it makes sense. I do like that it's it's a more maxi scooter because the last time I saw a scooter that was electric was the little Vespa. Yeah. And that was like essentially a 50cc scooter. Yeah, that was so tough. Totally non-impressive to me because I would rather buy the little GT300 that they make that looks the same and actually goes. Right. So in this case, you know, they're, I think you're spot on. I think it is the right bike for its segment. It'll probably do very, very well, especially in the European and I imagine, you know, Asian markets. American markets, I'm curious. I, I feel like, you know, New York City, San Francisco, all the major metro- metropolitan areas could probably use this thing. It'd be a great machine to have. It's quieter, it's smaller, it's cleaner. I can't imagine it costs you that much per month to power it up. No, not so, overnight from your own wall. No. It, I mean, the maxi scooter segment has never been big in the US. I had, so, so. I had the little Fiat 500E, the oh, E-Barth, yeah. as I uh-huh. called it. And my little E-Barth, I would plug it in probably every third night. 
And my electric bill went up, I kid you not, like $3 a month. Yeah. And I only ever charge it at home. So if that little car with its older technology only costs that much to plug, let's even call it $10 a month. That's nothing. Like fuel costs close to $4 a gallon right now. Yeah. And I also consider that $11,800 price tag, which is, of course, well, that's what I'm saying. The I'm just baseline kinda, price is probably going to cost more. Right. You're going to get some sort of e subsidy. I bet you would. I wouldn't so. be surprised if they gave you a subsidy, but even if it cost you $11,800, that's not a bad purchase because the 650 was only $800 cheaper. Yeah. So I bet with any kind of subsidy that they give you, you're probably going to be the same, if not less than the 650 that it replaced. And then cost of ownership. And then cost of ownership is probably going to weigh the hell less on the thing. So yeah. I think it's a. If I was in that market, that would be something I'd look at. I've actually just talked myself into that thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes sense. It's an interesting it's an interesting play. I think it's a great example of where we are in the motorcycle industry in terms of grappling yep. electric motorcycles. Like, this is where it is. You know, maxi scooters, around towners, e-bikes. I mean, e-bikes have gotten are kind of in so between. big. I'm seeing e-bikes sell like crazy, and those things range anywhere from like $3,000 to $10,000, and they're all over the place here in Portland. Yeah. So clearly there's a segment. There's something there. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. We talked way more about that than I was expecting us to. I know we got all passionate about it. It looks good. It's an interesting. I, like, I really, really like the way it looks a lot. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I like yeah. that weird funky design. They kind of did a uh, kind of an Akira thing with it, which I like. Still not certain about the name, but whatever. Yeah. The name's why the O4. Did they explain that? Uh, the concept was called like the CEO four, and I want to say like that was like their fourth electric concept. Uh, so I don't know. Okay, sure, sure. Why not? It makes sense to someone over there. I like it. I, I hope it does well. I think it's a really cool looking bike. Speaking of really cool mm-hmm. looking bikes, <laughs> is it though? <laughs> uh, we'll skip that story. Instead, we'll talk about. Don't call it a Harley Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> The electric live wire one debut. So two stories in one here. Okay. One Harley Davidson has spun out its electric motorcycle business. It won't be under the Harley Davidson name. It'll be under the live wire name. So it'll be live wire by Harley Davidson, different models underneath that. Yeah. And Kinda now like the their first, the first live wire motorcycle is the live wire one, which we all knew as the Harley Davidson live wire. So super confusing. A lot of branding, marketing, business, shell gaming. Very Jedi mind tricks action. Just a little. Don't worry dust, about the live dust, wire. This is the new live wire. Yeah, this isn't the live wire you're looking for. Yeah, this is the live wire. In fact, I like that in, in white. It kind of does remind me a little. Um, so we, we've seen this bike. I've ridden this bike. We know this bike. Has anything changed at all? Aside it no from longer the price comes tag? in orange, which is partially because it's no longer a Harley Davidson. Right. And they took $7,800 off the price tag. Boom. Which is awesome. This is the bike they should have come out with. Yep. For $22,000, I can kind of get excited about this bike. I, for 22, someone's going to bitch me out about this. For $22,000, I would take this over the zero SRF all day long. That's what I mean. That probably should have been what I said. I don't know if I like this bike at 22 grand. There's a lot of things I would like to change about this bike. There's a lot of things I, I think this motorcycle doesn't do as an electric that I, that it doesn't quite have the gas parity but in the electric space yeah zero srf or this for the same price this is no contest this is actually cheaper no fucking contest. it's got dc fast charging Mm -hmm. it's built by harley davidson which somehow has way better build quality than zero (laughs) 
Um, you know, like I would trust Harley way more than zero right now, which is a weird thing to say, I know. but this is, this is, I, if I'm, if I'm right, the, there's like a two or $3,000 Delta between this and the SRF. Uh, I looked at the SRF. I thought it was 24,000. It had a similar but. trim and they're pretty close. I want to say they're within a thousand of each uh, other. I'll um, take this. The SRF gets more expensive because you can add on more shit. Right. So the premium is 215, 140 pound feet of torque, 110 horsepower. Uh, city range is 161 miles and it has like battery pack nominal 12.6 kilowatt hours. Oh, interesting. I have no idea how that compares to early is 13.6 kilowatt nominal city range at 146 mixed highway city 95 105 horsepower 86 uh, pound feet. You know, I had these in a, I have these in a chart. So a little less power, definitely less torque, more weight, bigger battery pack. But the biggest thing is the DC charging, I think, makes a big difference. Yeah, I think so too. And what did we say price-wise difference? 500 bucks? Yeah, 21999 versus 21499. So the zero is 500 bucks cheaper. It's cheaper. Okay, I'll take that back. I thought the zeros were like 24 grand. Well, you can add on like the super pack and there's some options that could get the zero a little bit gotcha. higher, but pretty close. I think for my dollar, I'm buying that Harley. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a decent looking motorcycle. I didn't. Where is it going to be sold? Ah, the 12 dedicated live wire dealerships that this bike is debuting with. So I feel like this is where it gets really weird because it's, it's not a Harley Davidson anymore. So it's not being sold at Harley Davidson dealerships but maybe some still are because they have that big rollout for a bunch of dealerships to have dc fast chargers it's gonna be like when mercedes used to have the smart car dealerships next to their dealerships are they gonna have like a little live wire yeah, shack on, on the side I don't i honestly don't Wonder. know what the plan they have not communicated this part of the strategy very well and even in my talkings to the company this hasn't been explained and I'm not entirely sure. It's a, it's a tricky beast that they part. know yet. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't know yet. That's a tricky little part. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be kind of bullish. Yeah, but how do you sell a non Harley brand? To no- Remember, we we're talking about this about mm-hmm. the R18 and uh, slash two. Mm-hmm. How do you sell a non Harley brand to non Harley people if you're going to put it at the Harley dealership? Because what if there's this weird emotional whatever faux pas where people don't want to go into a harley dealership but they want that thing yeah right so like how do you get a bmw r18 sold to a cruiser market but also have them come to your typical bmw dealership and get the typical bmw you know experience that's the part every time you try to peel away you have to figure out how do i do this because the lazy thing to do is to put it dab smack in the middle of the harley dealership because there's a gazillion harley dealerships and chances are someone somewhere will buy one from them. But the but like the fresh thing to do, right? Quote unquote fresh idea is to like put it somewhere else altogether. Because if it is called a live wire product, then it should be sold as a live wire product at a live wire store or right. outlet or whatever. Right. It's um it's a that's a great question. And my answer would be I, I bet that's the answer at all the board meetings. I bet there was just, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the thing they're all like, fuck, what do we do now? No, it's a, it's a catch 22. And then 
And I think at the end of the day, whatever you do, you have to go all in on it uh-huh. because and we talked about this with the series one uh, bicycles, right? Where it's like how relevant, like if I didn't know that live wire was Harley Davidson, how relevant would this motorcycle be to me? And, and, and again, like, oh, you have 12 dealerships. Yeah. Cool. Let me know when you have one in my area in five years. Right. Um, the advantage, you know, but because it just went from a huge name brand to like, oh, it's just a startup. Like but it also doesn't have any of the baggage that comes with our like part of my pushback with the live wire was the bar and shield on the on the tank because I'm just like, fuck you, Harley. I'm You're just, not a Harley guy. You've spent decades trying to make me not your consumer. So that's the benefit of that or the detriment of that. Um, so there's advantages and disadvantages like like you're right. Like, how do you go into a Harley Davidson dealership with the culture and the look and the feel that you have cultivated for decades there to sell cruisers mm-hmm. and then be like, oh, yeah, sell this electric bike or sell this Buell, mm-hmm. you know, or sell anything other than, you know, the bitch fell off t-shirt <laughs> and and like they struggle like that, like that was that was Buell. It was them struggling because it was too different. It was too outside of the hyper niche yeah. that they created for Harley Davidson culture. And so like, yeah, they had a bunch of dealers everywhere, but like what good did it do them? And I feel like that could be the same thing with Livewire. We're like, maybe you can establish Livewire as its own brand. Yeah. And there's Livewire dealers and maybe they share a parking lot with Harley Davidson dealers, but maybe some of them don't. And maybe you grow that network out. So maybe the answer here is to have it at a Harley dealership and have a Livewire specialist there. That's all they do. They're just a brand ambassador for Livewire, and that's the only person that talks about them. Maybe. Right, because then they speak the language properly. Then they give you the the experience that whatever whatever cultural experience that Harley slash Livewire want you to experience as a Livewire buyer. Well, yeah, I, I like that idea. I'll, I'll, I'll contrast it with uh, Indian. If you wanted to be an Indian dealer when Indian first started, mm-hmm. you also had to take on Slingshot. And they had to be in separate showrooms and like separate things. And it was a very like... Yeah. Like, so you understood it's two very different buyers. Two different buyers, but we're going to package them together because that's the only way we can, we can do the thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and say like that's like a great example of like how they did it well, but I've never really heard someone say like that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of seem like, you know, if you, you do it right, you, you have like, like you said, like a dedicated sales guy, it's in a dedicated part of your showroom and we make that look and feel different. And maybe it has its own interest and an entrance and its own signage outside, right. you know, like it's the annex or whatever. Maybe that works. Or is that just Buell all over again? I don't know, but you got to do it. I feel like you got to do it all the way. Well, you Buell, can't just have asset, half asset and have it be no, like the same Buell was half-assed. I mean, I got to I see so. a lot of Harley dealerships with Buells on them. Buell and then EBR. It was just kind of thrown in the middle. And then they were like, hey, this is a thing. It's totally different than everything else. So you got to talk to these people. Probably some dude on a, you know, ninja is going to come in here and talk to you about this thing. So figure it out. But most of this, and we've talked about this before in different uh, episodes, in that unless your soldiers on the ground, unless your salespeople on the ground can speak that language and can understand that culture and kind of portray that message to your buyers, you're going to have a hard time selling that to them. It's not because it's a bad product. It's not because you're doing a shitty job. It's just because it's, it's, it's a different language. It's a different approach. It's a different audience altogether. 
That doesn't mean a Harley buyer won't buy a live wire. Chances are a Harley buyer has enough money to buy several different kinds of motorcycles. But if you're looking to conquest a whole different breed of buyers, then you have to figure out a way of pulling them in. And that may or may not be, you know, putting it right in the middle of a Harley dealership. We saw it fail twice with Eric Buell's products. We're about to watch it fail a third time. Well, (laughs) God. So that's the thing. I really hope... And I'm, I imagine they're talking about this, right? Like, how do we, how do we put this? Does it just go in its own dedicated store, which we're starting out with twelve, which sounds like a very small amount, or do we say, cool, let's, you know, a a participating dealership has to put X amount of. I mean, we we kind of said this idea before, like where a participating dealership has to put X amount of money. Harley will do a co-op amount with them so that they can build a live wire section that just does live wire stuff. And it's got live wire specialists and they know how to have that talk and how to, you know, dress up especially for it and whatever, whatever it is that that image is. It's just like when we talked about one of the smartest things Harley would have done when the live wire first came out is if they said every dealership in our network has fast charge on this thing. So now you as a live wire owner slash writer can just bounce around from shop to shop to shop. Well, they did that to some extent. I mean, there's a lot. That's the thing. Like, that's why it's weird to me because there's a lot of Harley Davidson dealerships with DC fast chargers mm-hmm. now. So, like that, that's why it would be weird for me to be like. So you, now you guys don't sell the Livewire brand anymore, or maybe they will. And you know that costs a lot of money. It costs a ton of money. So like, there is advantages there. You know, you're kind of building out your own network, kind of like Tesla, right? Um, that's the thing. Where, like I sit, I've had a lot of issues with with Air Zeitz's coming into Harley Davidson because. I don't think Harley Davidson's done a good job of communicating his vision. And a lot of the times it just feels like there isn't one and we're kind of just cobbling pieces together. And like, that's the thing. Like I saw, I look at this and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have a very strong assessment because it's like, I don't know what you guys are really doing yet. Like this seems weird, but it also seems like maybe there's more to it that you haven't disclosed yet. Right. And I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know. I know they're going to make other bikes from this. I mean, it's kind of like a weak first offering. It's like, oh, it's a bike we've already seen. But we made it, and the biggest complaint was that it was $30,000. So here it is at $22,000. Which is great. Which is, which is a, great. You know, now it makes a proper contender in that segment for that motorcycle. And you and I both already said, yeah, I'd buy that over the other one right now. That's fair. Um, but we're also talking about a segment that sells generously a few thousand units a year in the US. Right. The whole segment. And I would guess that number is actually lower. I haven't seen uh, zero sales in a little while, but um, me either. You know, like a thousand, fifteen hundred units through the whole brand a year is a pretty good estimate. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's call it two thousand units for the whole year, all their bikes. Sure, I know I could be off, but I'm not going to be off by much. Harley Davidson maybe added a couple hundred more units a year to that to that pie. That's the segment. Who else is in the space? It's interesting though. You know, we were talking about Harley bringing in different riders to their to their dealerships, and they're effectively doing that with the Dirt Glide. Yeah, and they're I, selling the shit out of them. I mean, from what I'm understanding, every dealership that I've talked to, they're like, "Dude, we can't keep them in stock." They can't leaving. keep them in stock, but are, I would like to see the number. Like, it's really easy to can't keep right. them in stock if your dealership only got two or three. Well, you know, the only reason I'm I'm speaking that language, well, okay, that's fair. I'm wondering how many they're sending out there because just as as a as a dealership myself, I can't keep multi stratas in stock, but like I took in thirty and they're gone. That's fair. Yeah. 
No, I, I don't know the number. I haven't seen Harley's numbers on it. Yeah. So I'm curious. I really am wondering if that is a, you know, maybe we're watching this new page in, in Harley's history and that now they're, you know, starting to introduce new ideas and new things and people are starting to see like, oh, okay, this is a different, not, not, not a different brand, but they're speaking a different language and kind of appealing to a different set of people with this liquid cooled set of motorcycles <laughs> that's the thing that's kind of funny to me. like we went from a brand that was kind of stuck in like the 1970s right to now a brand that's like oh welcome to 1990s early 2000s <laughs> right, right. all right congratulations on your liquid cold motor <laughs> oh you've got a bike that uh that is like uh, an adventure bike all right but they're doing it and i mean better late to the party than never because there's again however many they're giving to the dealerships are being sold so now I'm wondering, will this also translate to that that new custom that's coming out, which I think is a gorgeous motorcycle? You mean little little knowledge drop that new Sportster that's coming out? Is that what it's going to be? It's going to be a Sportster. Come on, it well is, it is. Okay. The, I mean, we kind of knew that when the announcement came out because it said from Evolution to Revolution. Yeah, the Evolution motor was in the Sportster. The Revolution. Dude, motor how did the Sportster go from a 60 horsepower engine to essentially 150 horsepower motor? Uh, rumor on the street: 120 horse. Fuck, that's still twice. Still pretty rad. I would love that bike at 150, but 120, 120. I'm fine with, I mean, in the 50, it looks like, like the wheelbase is like three inches long. That thing yeah. looks tiny. I'm excited for that bike. I am too. I literally told, so uh, listen to us, listen to tune on Harley guys <laughs> getting excited about this thing. I literally talked to a Harley Davidson employee today and I was like, Hey, I'm really excited about that new Sportster. And by the way, understand that never in my entire life would I ever thought I'd say I'm really excited about that new Harley Davidson. I, I would have shat my pants if I was that person talking to you and hearing you say that because yeah. That means you're not the only one saying that. Yeah. If, if you can get me, there's a whole other people you got yeah. before me. Like, so that's okay. That's a, that's a, that's a silver lining for me. So I wonder now because they're starting to get other people getting interested in the brand. Suddenly, maybe this live wire thing, maybe the correct thing is to have it at a dealership under a different guys under different, you know, uh, uh, representation, so to speak. Somebody else, a, a live wire specialist does live wire stuff. It's almost like the Tesla experience where you just go in there and get outfitted for your uh, live wire and that's all you're there for. That's what your interest is. I'm Because as someone who sold electric motorcycles for a little while here, the buyers who are coming in to buy that specific kind of vehicle are a very unique breed and they're very interested in the, the forward technology idea of it. And so... Like, to me, it's kind of a cool thing to be like, yeah, this is a new technology. It's electric. It's different. But it also has this old school brand behind it, which is kind of neat. But I could see where some people would get kind of geeked out and go, yeah, it's electric, but it's also Harley. That's kind of neat. I really wonder. I, I, I hope they figure out how to do it properly where they can take advantage of the infrastructure that they've already built. Mm. But to have different representation where it's not you know, good old boys club because a lot of people are afraid of going to a Harley dealership because they feel like they don't belong there. It is, I mean, afraid the wrong word uh, for afraid, me, but they have but a weird emotional tie to it. I go into a Harley dealer, Davidson dealership and I feel like a fish out of water. I'm like, hey, this is different. I don't belong here. This is different. These, these people ride motorcycles, but they are different than me. And they probably look at me the same way. Probably. Um, look at that smug motherfucker. <laughs> last time i showed up on my africa twin they were geeking out so that was kind of funny <laughs> and motorcyclists are motorcyclists at the end of the day we have people that listen to us that probably write every brand we've ever talked about good bad or otherwise and it's i know that because we'll get messages from them going hey dude like we're not assholes 
<laughs> good people. Speaking of which, speaking of which, that's a good transition. We had uh, our buddy DJ re-signed up for A&R Pro. Had to, had to take a hiatus. Just bought a house. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. But he makes mentions like, yeah, you guys talk about, uh, you know, my DRZ and my Buell. And, uh, you know, maybe one day I'll buy a good motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, if those things work for you, they are good motorcycles. That's for you, right? I mean, I put quote unquote tractor tires on my bike. They're good tires for me. They do the job. There's a reason I've gone back to that tire a third time now. uh, Listen here, you, you judgy judger son. (laughs) Um, The point is the, there is no such thing as a perfect motorcycle for everyone, but there's a perfect motorcycle for you. Ooh, ooh, put that on a t-shirt. That's right. I'm just going to drop that right there. That's nice. That's very, some Zen Confucius shit right there. Zen and the art of brapping. Ooh, that should be a shirt. Yeah. Like it. That's like that's a that's a page from the Church of Brapistan. It right sure there. is. Take a pew. Brap be with gentlemen. you. Blessed be the Braps. <laughs> um yeah, and no, I think that's absolutely right. Like, you know, it all comes back to you. Like the perfect motorcycle is the one you're on or the one that you bought. Yep. Like the one that you enjoy the most. That's the one. I'm not gonna hate. Nope. You like riding cruisers? Ride your cruiser. Get it done. You got a trike? Dude. I'm telling you, I've said this story a thousand times and I'll always say it. I talked mad shit about trikes when I was younger. And then when I started working at the Harley dealership, watching the people who bought the trike smile, just grin from ear to ear to be able to have essentially the same feeling you and I get on two wheels was like, all right, I'm going to shut the fuck up. I'm never going to talk shit again. And to be frank, it made me not be hateful towards other brands in general because I get it. Some people can maybe only afford to buy whatever they buy and some people maybe can only uh, ride what they can ride. And so at the end of the day, the, the cool thing about motorcycling is that we all go out there and we deal with the bullshit that's, you know, the, the road. I'll tell you this. I get a leg injury. I get too old that I can't, you I'm know. St- I am on a trike so fucking carry fast. A, funny. Carry a cruiser. Yep. 100% going to get a trike. So the question is, is the wheels going to be in the back? The two wheels in the back or two wheels in the front? Well, that's a good, that's a good life question. That's for then. <laughs> <laughs> is the party in the back or in the front, buddy? Yeah, there's some interesting, there's some interesting stuff like whatever gets your wind blowing through your hair yeah. that's it politics that's all i got that's a show that's a, that's that's where that's where we're finishing and on that bombshell make sure you follow us instagram <laughs> at brap talk twitter at we brap talk email us we brap talk at gmail.com look us up on facebook brap talk motorcycle podcasts leave us a review on itunes please do that uh, it's important it's for us a while since we had that shout out it's been a while if you're on from the apple podcasts leave us a a little howdy doody howdy doody um gotta send some stickers out oh yeah yep. okay. i just got a new batch so i gotta send some more stickers out we've got a, i think like 10 buyers i have not sent out to so sorry but we have stickers so buy some more stickers put them on there we actually i just saw somebody so i make the i've got my safety third sticker it's a band-aid there's a small one that's like i think like two or three inches and then there's a bigger one like two or three inches yeah like two exactly and then there's a bigger one <laughs> should be a video podcast uh and this is why we, we didn't giggity f- that much at all we didn't this. oh wow it was very serious you did say the word unit and i laughed at that <laughs> unit always makes me laugh i'll hear i didn't hear it when we were talking i'll hear it when i get it we're we're i'm a general manager of a store and to this day if somebody goes hey how many units i'm like mm, use that unit get to work um, anyways, so I've got the larger sticker, which is like a five by three and the smaller one, which is like a three by one. And this person, I, I forgot who it is, but they took the bigger one and they painstakingly put it in the back of their helmet, which you and I have, everyone at some point has tried to put the wrong sticker on the wrong shape. 
And dude, more power to you. Way to do that. But there's a reason to have the smaller one. <laughs> Thanks for having the giant safety third sticker in the back of your helmet. That, that is probably amazing. involves like one of those little wiper deals. Oh, man, to get all the I, out. I can't even imagine how many times that person cursed when they tried to do that. It, it angers me when a sticker doesn't stick right. Fair. So, anyways, if you want stickers, we got them. Get them on your thing. Mm, Show it ding, off. Ding, dong. Put it on your thing and just play with it slowly. On your tra-la-la. On your my ding dang dong. <laughs> good Whatever happened to that song? See you out there. I'm out of here. Make good choices. Safety third. Bye. Bye. I had already put a tentative title on the show as Giggity because it's episode 69. <laughs> so it's, it just, really? it's just all coming together now. Oh, man. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> the all right to my Giggity. <laughs>